Words, they get golly hard when they jumble. Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle. Merkin fool, like squirtle and cake boo. Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about the term livelihood, and I've been thinking about social norms and the expectations they generate. I've been thinking about the unintended consequences of transformation and the desire to live our best life, how we are often penned in by our history and our dreams, that the way we view something may have as big of an impact as the objective reality, and that having parents and being a parent makes for often confusing, sometimes perplexing, hopefully joyous, wild ride. My guest today is Deborah Burns. She is the author of Saturday's Child, a daughter's memoir. Deborah is a former women's media chief innovation officer and brand leader for a number of top national magazines and L Global Marketing. She's a professional coach and founded Skirting the Rules to help other women reinvent authentic futures full of meaning and purpose. Welcome, Deborah, and thank you so much for joining us today on That Got Me Thinking. Thank you so much, Ellie, for that intro. So I want to start by reading some of the book's much-deserved praise. It's all wonderful, and yet casts some very different lights on the tone of the narrative. And so I've picked some out and numbered them, and I'm just going to start and throw this out there. Okay. So to begin, a cinematic memoir that reads like fiction, with lush, elegant prose that belies a raw, honest narrative of a daughter coming to terms with the narcissistic mother whom she idealized. Deborah Burns fearlessly reveals the hidden truths of a compelling and challenging mother-daughter relationship, a poignant, candid exploration of the bond between mother and daughter, a beautifully written love letter to a fascinating mother. In this captivating memoir, the relationship between an unconventional and fiercely independent mother and the daughter who idolized her is revealed in all its complexity. And I just wanted to start there because it struck me the different tone um, an, an impression of your experience and the characters involved uh, from the people who, who are rightly praising the book. And so I thought that was a great place to start. And the first question I want to ask you is, is it a, more than a memoir, do you think? Is it a memoir or is it a memoir and also a biography? So you are asking this question when the book uh, has just come out into the world, Um, and I'm getting a lot of feedback about it as well. And my, my answer is all of the above. I mean, everything that you just tapped into describes aspects uh, of the book. And for me, it is a memoir. Um, it is a legacy in a way of my mother's unconventionality and my perspective about it. And it started as a love letter to her, but then, and I'm sure because you talk to many writers, um, you hear some familiar threads, but as right when I was writing it, I realized it's really about me for the first time. It's my story. Uh, And my mother, of course, has a prominent uh, place in it. But I realized it was my emergence from beneath the shadow of this extraordinary, otherworldly, beautiful, larger-than-life 
mother that had its struggles and its joys. And because she was who she was, uh, its share of secrets and illusions and misperceptions as well. I'm realizing I asked you an unfair question because I pinned it as an either or and the whole reality, I think, of your experience probably writing the book and, and having lived the life and then telling the story is it's, it is so many of those things depending on the perspective and the moment. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, what I tried to do is create scenes for each chapter so that a reader could go deeper and I could unfold key aspects of our relationship. I mean, there were probably 10,000 scenes that I could choose from, from our life together, but each one here, almost in a poetic kind of way, um, reveals more about the two of us. And since you opened with praise, uh, one that did make me cry uh, was um, the, the author who said, with a journalist's eye and a poet's hand. And that meant so much to me in so many ways. And uh, one more that came from the industry rather than other authors uh, was either Booklist or Kirkus, and the last line of their review was that the most affecting part of the memoir was how the author liberated herself while still remaining tender to her mother's memory. And that just opened the floodgates because I said, they got me. They really got me because this is not um, a um, what what was the um, Joan Crawford? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> the hangers in the closet. <laughs> the hangers, you know this this is not wire hangers at all. Um, and, and that's clear. I, yeah, please. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and that's clear to the reader. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you this at the end of the interview, but I'm going to ask you now instead. Do you think your mother would have approved? Would you have written it while she was alive, if she had had lived longer, do you think? And and would she have approved? So I asked myself both of those uh, important questions throughout this entire process. And the, the answer to would I have written this when she was alive, I'm almost 100% certain that the answer is no. Um, One of the reasons why is that I would still be in our story. It would still be unfolding. She would be older, I would be older. Um, and, And the dynamic that we had together would still be revealing itself. So I would have to say no just for that. And then the second part of that is that if she were still alive, she would have been shaping this probably in another way if she knew I was writing it. And I, I might have written something else that she lived, but it wouldn't be this story. 
And I think I needed the more than 20 years since her death to gain the perspective in order to write this. I couldn't have done it when I was younger. This is definitely a midlife debut. And there's a reason why I think memoir and women who are 50 and 55 plus seems to be some sort of wave that's cresting now. Um, I'm definitely not alone with this kind of midlife moment. And I, I do believe time to do this is a factor because I have just lived through two torturous, emotionally torturous, dreaming years uh, in order to, to manifest this. Uh, so time, for sure, I wouldn't have been able to do it um, earlier on when my children were younger. And then perspective. So, so no to the first part uh, of your question. And then would she be proud? I believe, I hope, uh, that she would be. I, I definitely have given that a lot of thought. Um, on the humorous side, she is now more famous than she's ever been. And um, I think that that's something. If you go to DeborahBurnsAuthor.com, her pictures are everywhere. Her pictures are in the book. Um, my publicist has me posting on, on Instagram well, yes, every day. And you, you cast her in an impressive light, and I want to give a, a small picture of that. And I think maybe the best way to do that would be if you could talk about the zoo and the gorilla um, visit. Mm, mm. So um, there is a scene in, in, the, in the book. I, I open in present day and kind of where I, where I am in my own life and what the continuing struggle um, seems to be. And I go back uh, in time so that the reader can feel the adoration and this shimmering goddess um, always above me, whose pedestal I kind of danced around. And when I was very young, we would at the start of, Spring each year, make a visit to the Central Park Zoo. And one year, my mother was dressed, but she always dressed for all her appearances, and she had on a lime green pencil skirted suit with a silver fox collar. And in we walk to the monkey corridor cage, and a enormous graying gorilla caught sight of her. And what ensued was hysterical on one front, but for me, profound on another. And what happened was the gorilla went insane at the sight of my mother with her red hair in this suit and her high heels, so she was almost six feet tall. She looked like Rita Hayworth when she woke up in the morning, and it just kind of got better from there. <laughs> they went on. So now I'm seven or eight, and he just grunts and growls and swings around, and everyone is, like, taking pictures. In those days, cameras were hanging from people's necks. 
and everyone's screaming, look at this, King Kong, King Kong, Beauty and the Beast, do it again. And my mother's walking from one side of his cage and to the other, and he's following her and creating a, a scene that would be in a, in a movie. I think this is why some people describe life and Scotty as, as cinematic. And at the end of it, you know, it's a little girl's feelings and, you know, the scene was over, everybody had had enough, and I looked at the gorilla and he was exhausted and just kind of looked right to me as if I wasn't there. And he didn't know who I was, you know? Yeah, you said he didn't know who I was, apparently. And I was wondering when I read that, if you, if there was part of you that thought, well, that, like, did you want that same response? Did that seem like something good to have? Well, that one was a little confusing because it was guttural and primal and scary in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but impact, yes, that was something that I lived with and saw. My mother would walk into a room or a restaurant and everything stopped. And so when you are an adorable little big brown eyed girl, you know who you are, but you also know I'm not that. And I think um, early on, it was easy for beauty and impact and love to kind of get a little tangled up because yes, she had that. So that means I'm supposed to have that. And if I don't, well, that means something else that's not too uh, palatable. You describe her reaction to domesticity. You say her new world tightened around her. And just as she had realized in the orchard that picking apples was not for her, she knew that taking care of a baby was not for her either. And so she took action. And I'm wondering, um, in you looking back, um, what is it that you saw her do in response to that? And what are your feelings about it? Well, it began when I was a baby. So by the time I was consciously aware, the life she had designed and crafted for her and for, for all of us in the house, it was just me as the child. It was my mother, my father, and me, uh, was already firmly in place. Um, so she decided that she was going to house my father's two spinster, 50-plus virginal Italian sisters, and they were going to take care of me and everything having to do with the house. So I, um, I say somewhere in the book that, you know, it's a it's a life design that today women would applaud. You know, it's like, and I get it. You know, she just removed all the mundane from her life. And, you know, I never in my life had a conversation with my mother about galoshes or should you wear a sweater or anything that had to do with care and feeding of, of a child because my aunts had their roles and each one was responsible for something else uh, having to do with me or the house. 
and I loved my aunts. They were my my plump fairy godmothers, uh, but sort of tied to the answer to your prior question, you weren't really enough because I was chasing something else. And the, re- and, and the way the house was constructed just made her even more elusive and the object of my affection that I needed to win, which also ties to the title of the book. Um, a few people have asked me, how did that come about? And, and I saw my mother mostly on Saturdays. That was our time together. And I was born on a Saturday. And that old 19th century nursery rhyme, Monday's Child, I, I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. it, but Monday's Child is fair of faith, Tuesday's household grace. Nobody wanted to be Wednesday. They were full of woe. But Saturday's Child works hard for a living which I have done in my career and my perception was that I had to work hard for her love. Well, it's, it's so interesting because I had thought of the time frame currently that, you know, instead of a nanny, you had these wonderful two aunts and, and your father was there more than most and you had Saturdays with your mom and you think, okay, well, there are children who are spending much uh, much less times with their mothers now. But as you were saying Mm -hmm. that, I was thinking too, prior, you know, if we think back to like watching Downton Abbey and and the time then, I'm in my mother's day, you know, she was not raised uh, by her mother, um, as far as galoshes Mm -hmm. or meals or any of of that Mm -hmm. type of thing. Um, And so it really is just that time frame. And you say that um, you're in regard to your mother, she went against every single social convention for housewives and mothers of her day, which took a great deal of courage, especially because she owned it. Um, what do you mean when you say she owned it? I mean, it was part of that uh, persona, part of that dotty uh, lore. Um, there were always a million stories about her from her her hands, her little community of, of women and, and, and people. And she was proud of the fact that she never washed a glass. You know, it it was, she told everyone she hated like anything having to do with the house. And I think to your point, this is in an era where June Cleaver was the model. That's what, I, that's the era that I was born into. And I, I feel like, even though, yes, in, in Downton Abbey days, the expectation was that mothers never sullied their hands and, and the, the richer you got, the more removed you became from, from the day to day. However, even looking at, like, uh, you made me think of Princess Diana, that the shock was she cared about her children and she made them feel that. Uh, as opposed to maybe the queen who was more removed and, and distant and more traditional in that. And those children that grew up in those situations, I mean, Charles has a few problems, you know, because of the, of the, of the situation. And I bet if you went into biographies of all of those young boys sent away to boarding school and never seeing their parents, they all were, might've been a little troubled um, 
as a result, even though it was the norm for their social class. And I think the answer here to uh, a key point, which is, gee, uh, you know, you, you, okay, you saw her on Saturdays, but you know, many women work today and they have nannies and all of it. I think the answer is in whether you make that child feel like a priority and feel fully loved. And the chemistry of this woman. Uh, where everything was kind of from on high. Her background is English. She was a little more removed. She wasn't demonstrative um, or affectionate. And you mix that kind of elusiveness uh, when she would sweep in and out of the house like a VIP guest, you know, just breezing in kind of on her way out you feel like you're left behind or not up to par um, because it's that particular combination. I was a working mother, but uh, as a result of my own experience, my first priority was to make sure my children felt every single day just how much they came first for me and that they were fully loved. Every generation gives what they need to the next. So my children now will give something else to their children because they feel fully loved. Um, so it's a continuum in that way. But I, I think at the heart of your question is because of the way I felt being under that shadow and because of the way she was and perhaps a sensitive nature on my part, as many writers have, um, it all combined to make me feel more unimportant to her than I should have. I'm wondering what your mother intended and, and thought later that, that she had given to you and wanted to give to you. You say of your grandmother, Fuzzy, the rules of her day had made her feel unworthy and she lived accordingly, accepting her fate, a fall from grace and upper-class gentility to menial domesticity, poverty and abuse because of misguided shame. And when, which what you did looking back at the generations and the home that your mother had come from and then the home that she created... Do you mm -hmm. think she was making conscious choices for you as far as what she wanted you to experience? I totally think they were conscious choices. Um, and I totally believe that she never intended to cause any pain. In fact, if I could channel her for a moment, if she were sitting right here and she read this book, she would say, Debbie. I, I gave you everything you had. You, you, you had a loving home. Your aunts loved you. Everything was taken care of. There were three meals a day. We went out on Saturday. You know, she, her perspective on it, because everybody's looking through their own lens, was that she accomplished what she needed to accomplish as a mother and created a happy home environment, and I should be happy. And I'm sure that's how she feels. And because we never had conversations 
about these type of things, so much was unspoken and unsaid between us. Actually, unspoken and unsaid are the same words, <laughs> but um, just an extra one for emphasis. You know, we really? never talked about these They seem a little different. They seem different. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> um, or withheld, mm-hmm. kind of withheld between us. I would never uh, say or do anything that might uh, not earn me her favor. I wasn't kicking up a fuss at all over anything because... God knows what would happen then. <laughs> so I wasn't risking my Saturday, you know, by by being um, contrite or um, obnoxious about anything. So consequently, she never knew uh, any of what I was actually feeling. And honestly, many of those feelings were tucked away and buried until... I had enough perspective as an adult to see them and understand them more clearly. And there was so much complexity to the relationship. I mean, every relationship has complexity, but this one seemed to have so much more and so much more depth. And you also had such a keen perception. You say, even as a child, I understood that my mother didn't belong to the world she was in, a mermaid on dry land. And you also said her absence and waiting for her return was all I ever knew. So you were aware of sort of the perimeters of possibility with her and the actions that you needed to take to sort of create the best relationship possible? Uh, For sure. And there are positive outcomes from situations like this. And and I was talking um, at a small event the the other night um, about challenges. And at the end of the day, this is an optimistic story because I did not grow up to be weak or repeat a cycle uh, or um, or be an, an unhappy person who never lived up to her potential. Um, somehow, I was able to process all of this and kind of use it to my advantage, actually. And I, I just being open to your point in your in your question, being open to possibility. It was like that's how I'm wired, really, because of her. Okay, maybe next time, or maybe this, or if I do this, then this will happen. You know, um, it might not have always been the healthiest thing for a child to be focusing energy on, but. As an adult, it gave me uh, wonderful characteristics and traits and actually enabled some sort of ability to connect the lines and dots and create something uh, from that. And, and I'm, I'm even speaking beyond this book, but in the, in the business world. And because you're uh, in the industry, you know that when a book is launching, the author writes a lot of essays around the themes of the book, and then they get picked up by different um, platforms or places like Thrive Global just ran one um, yesterday, and Medium.com has another. And there's one about narcissism that 
somebody's looking at now. I, I don't know who's going to finally run it, but it really is kind of flips it on its ear in, in that I had a narcissistic mother and it made me a success. So of course, in today's easily offended uh, days, I open up with saying, you know, it is, we, we all understand that it's not a good thing to not feel fully loved, but I'm going to leave those consequences to the expert. But in my own experience, um, she honed certain traits of mine, razor sharp, um, and that played very well for me at the office. And I list about seven of them, like being intuitive and Imagine to being a great team player because I love making someone else shine because I'm so used to it. I love that feeling. And that, that gets you a lot at work uh, because you need to make your boss shine. And so everything ended up working out well because I went through certain struggles that made me stronger. Well, also, and I think because you had certain capabilities, uh, you talk in the book how your cousin didn't fare as well with her mother, Rita, right. um, and mm-hmm. that, you know, she was a 10 on a wounded scale and you were a five. And it, you know, you th- it, it makes one think about the difference in the relationship, but also the differences in you and your cousin. You know, what were the mm. propensities you had and the skills and abilities that maybe would have been latent or not, but that were useful and also, um, as you said, honed through that particular relationship with your mother? You know, uh, Ellie, that is a fascinating question that no one has actually asked me. Uh, everyone, there are people who ask to to compare the two mothers. No one has actually asked me to compare myself to my cousin. And, um, I, I think part of it is her mother was much more of a critical, mean spirited person. My mother was not. She never criticized me, you know, she, not at all. Um, and I think that that's one thing that differentiated my cousin and me. Um, but in looking at her as a person, I, I don't really have what the answer is. For some reason, she was never able to process and let go of blame for her life. And I don't want to say that in a critical way. She is the, she's much older now. As I say in the book, she's about 20 years older than me. Um, and for whatever reason, she can't let go of how her mother treated her and abandoned her. And it rules every single thing she's done. And if I see her today, she, within five minutes, we're back to that place 
and I can't really explain it. Your therapist said rather than be manipulated by it, you made everything work for you as best you could, which gave you incredible skills for later on. And I read this and I thought, oh, just like your mother. Um, And I'm wondering if you (laughs) recognized this, um, what she did uh, since she was a child. And if you recognized it, you know, early on in adolescence, or if you recognized it later as an adult or writing the book. Um. I did not recognize it in adolescence, uh, but I recognized it long before I wrote the book because when I began my career and then got feedback, because that's what a career is, you're, you're in something and you have to succeed and you have to try. And when I would get responses or promotions or a uh, good job and that kind of thing, I started to realize, oh, this is all in me. So I got reinforcement for who I was when I uh, really started working in college. It happened on the college paper, but it really kicked in full time in that corporate uh, world. And I realized I am like my mother. Um, And when I wrote that line, I wondered how many people would pick up on what you just picked up on because it would be just like my mother. That's what she would do. So definitely her, so much about her is in me. And she was strong and she was formidable. Um, There was nothing wishy-washy about my mother. I'm a little more wishy-washy, but I, I have a very formidable side as well. And My aunts balanced her ways with their groundedness and kind of quotidian practicality. So, you know, on one hand, I'm influenced by this glamorous movie star. uh, And then on the other hand, there are these two women who never really had any experiences in their lives And we're very focused on home and family and cooking and, you know, decorating little things and doing arts and crafts and and those kinds of things. And so I, especially when I had children of my own, I realized, oh, my God, I'm all of these women. Like, they're all in me um, and on my shoulder kind of all the time. But I do recognize how I am like her. And in the book, I really recognized how like my father um, I am. Um, when I started writing, I, he had a smaller role, but as I wrote, he, because the window that I'm looking through is my relationship with my mother, but her story could never be told without his. And he got meatier as a character um, in the story throughout the book and his songs and, and his striving, his ability to strive. And I realize I have that too. And he wanted a creative life and now look at where I have landed, you know, kind of not with music, but with words and um, in sort of in the same place. So a lot of realization. Do, do you think that your mom did your father a disservice or a service by never leaving him? 
And and do you feel like he should have left her? Is that a question that you ponder? Um, I ponder, yes. Um, you know, it's a question that I think should be or probably is on everyone's mind. You know, when relationships are black and white, they're either fabulous or awful. The answers are so much easier. No one would ever leave a fantastic marriage and relationship. And, and if, if you're in a situation where there's abuse and, and alcohol, whatever it is, get out. Black and white. But most of us live in the gray. And when you're in the gray, it is so easy to rationalize the pros and cons. Well, I have no chemistry with this man who is a songwriter and he's not making any money. He's not doing that, but he loves me. He's a good father and um, he takes out the garbage or whatever it is. I'm being flip, but just to make the point. And I think the gray is always the trouble spot. So did she do him a disservice by staying and not leaving him? Maybe. Would he have found someone else? Maybe. Would he have carried her around with him for the rest of his life? Probably. I think she thought she was doing him a favor by staying. Um, And I think those rationalizations go on in so many people's minds and there's no one right answer because whatever the decision is, it's going to have good consequences and bad consequences, pros and cons. And maybe the important aspect of it is that it's made consciously, which it seems like your father had done from the songs that you found and, and put in the book that he mm-hmm. wrote later on life. So he was he was mm-hmm. seemingly making, you know, realizing the situation and, and making a conscious choice. And you talk about being attracted to journalism because you had an instinct for discerning the truth behind the news and like the idea mm-hmm. of moving, moving past illusions and misperceptions and yet see the value in some illusions. Um, was what was happening in your household between your mother and father uh, an allusion to you um, and, or an, an accepted inconvenient truth that, that sort of everyone was aware of the dynamics and um, come, coming to terms with it and, and making it work as your mother was making her life work? Right. I, I think, you know, to the point about illusions sometimes are necessary in life to get through difficult patches. Um, Maybe it's not a popular opinion, but uh, I do think um, sometimes illusions are not ready. You're not ready to know the truth. What was that movie? You can't handle the truth Um, with Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. Um, And, you know, I, Everyone in the household was probably aware uh, on one level, but kept up the illusion. And it it happened again when my mother was ill. 
um, you know, she and I never talked about this may be serious. You know, it never, ever was discussed. And maybe she needed that illusion that, oh, well, when I just get past this little incident, it's all going to be better. Um, and, and maybe that helped her last longer or cope because illusions are coping mechanisms too. And I see them now. I sort of see them for what they are, but sometimes they need to be there. Maybe she really, um, on some level didn't want to leave. And on another level, he didn't want to lose her. So he was willing to, um, keep up the, um, the facade for well and she wanted to give you that right like she, that comes out through the book in a couple times she was clear you know she didn't love the going to the resort um which was disturbing to you when you mm-hmm. found out because you thought she loved it but she says no you know i, I did that for you i gave you that mm-hmm. um she doesn't mm-hmm. later she makes a big decision not to do something which we won't we won't mm-hmm. um talk about right. in, in detail and it's clear that she wants you to have the home that you have um, mm-hmm. And the relationship with your father and and your aunts and that um, stability. So I know being you know the the term narcissism is being bandied around a lot these days. But I don't know I don't know if that label is is um, fair or or even helpful um, in in yeah, your mom's no, life. Well, you know it doesn't come up too much in the book. It's more um, people throwing it around who have read the book or. Uh, And it's an easy level, uh, a label, excuse me, but um, there's a part in the book, thank you for not revealing a spoiler um, a second ago, but there's another part in the book where I'm confronted with something that I had never thought of before as part of this reflection and trying to unravel the myth of my mother. Um, And you know, my counter to this revelation was, well, you know, narcissism is a spectrum. And it is, you know, but that's the grayness of it for me is that it was always like, is it me? Is it her? Is this normal? (laughs) Is this right? Um, Because it's hard, you know, if she was a full-blown thousand percent narcissist who was manipulating me constantly and and what are the new buzzwords gaslighting and all of the shadowing whatever they are um you know it would be easier to say oh my god my mother was a narcissist uh maybe rita was a was a full-blown narcissist uh who once her daughter wasn't going to live up to the standard that she got you know she was going to just rip her apart and tear her down um, my mother was on the spectrum, I believe. Um, and she behaved and I even challenged the revelation because she behaved in ways that were the opposite sometimes of narcissism, but it, it really only serves to make it all more confusing in all honesty. Well, because it's complex, right? And and there are elements. Mm-hmm. I know at the end of the book, you're struggling about um, and being questioned about 
um, how much you loved her and whether this love was real and, and was it love or obsession? And, um, you know, were there other feelings that were being, um, ignored or hidden and all? And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can just say maybe yes. And, and, uh, there was a a term that you learned from your mother early on. I think she said possibly, and you thought, what a magical word. Um, and oh, perhaps, 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 perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. I love, I still to this day, uh, love, uh, that word because you can answer any situation and depending on your tone, um, your movement, you can convey enthusiasm, uh, negative. It, it, it works for anything. Like at the end, if we can play a game, ask me any question and I'll always answer it with perhaps but you'll think it's, <laughs> you'll think differently that I mean something different with each answer. Um, and yes, perhaps there are certain key words. Like if I had to do a cloud word over the book, um, uh, a cloud bubble, um, one word would be perhaps. You're, you're never really too sure. And another word would be enough. And I think that's something that marked my early years. And it's something that a lot of people uh, hold almost as a limiting belief about themselves. Am I enough? Because I'm not that. And so if I'm not that, and I'm supposed to be that, then she must be disappointed in me. And so that's why She's so elusive. And if only I looked more like her, then, then she would really love me. Like those are the kinds of things that get tangled up because of the word enough. I'm thinking of another word that your maybe your mother carried through her life as a coping skill. Um, and that was when she finds out uh, something about her uh, father and about mm-hmm. her earlier life and you question her on it, you know, and, and she just says, you know, it, it just it is. And right. she goes on from there. Yeah. I mean, she was, Scarlett O'Hara was her idol because of her persona. Um, Nothing, she wouldn't let anything stop her. And my mother saw that when she was a young girl. And that I'll think about it tomorrow. I'm just going to put it out of my head. Um, It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And if it doesn't exist, it can't hurt me. And a, another contradiction there, too, because she also faced the situation and the reality of the situation very cre- clearly, assessing it and mm-hmm. then reacting. You say the limiting roles mm-hmm. of the day and the life she'd been handed simply didn't suit my mother. And she had to rebel mm-hmm. and ca- carve out her own path. And she does this again and again and and makes mm-hmm. very clear choices as to when she's willing to put up with something like a job she didn't like and mm-hmm. then what she is not willing to put up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, always very conscious, clear choices. And that decision to uh, handle the situation with her father, but put it away, is very much her. Like it was not going to be talked about. Um, 
or um, no, there's not going to be any hand wringing over it. It was a situation that had to be handled at the time. She handled it for her mother uh, because her mother was dependent on her formidable uh, daughter. And then no one ever spoke of it again. And that's a, it's a clear choice. I'm, uh, I have to surmise why she made that choice. Uh, because to me, looking at it, it wouldn't have changed anyone's feeling for her, but to her, it might have. And so she just tucked it away as one of a series of very distinct, very calculated life choices. That's sounding sort of familiar to me, Deborah. I'm wondering if that, that feeling of familiarity is ringing true for you too, um, because certainly yes. that you know, as, which is a, as you say, is a skill and takes courage and and can lead to good things. You say by reexamining her story, I regained my own. Had your story. Uh, it, it's clear that when you were young, you felt that some of your story was missing or being overshadowed. Um, once you found the newspaper and you found journalism and you were found an area where you were thriving as being part of uh, a team mm-hmm. and, and, and constructive, did you at that point still feel that part of your story was, was lost or being overshadowed? Uh, not overshadowed in the same way because I was sort of breaking new ground. Uh, I was in worlds that she hadn't participated in. Um, so not overshadowed, but those feelings of the three-year-old girl, as therapists will tell you, all of our decisions are being made by the three-year-old child inside of us, <laughs> the unconscious. And I think that because I couldn't blame my mother for things, you the tendency for children is to blame themselves. And that goes somewhere. And I think by the line claiming my own today, after the process of writing the book, there were discoveries made only because I sat down to write this book. So I would have gone through the rest of my life not fully addressing, and I'm sure there's stuff that's still floating around in my unconscious, but not addressing certain key things and not having some of the realizations that actually are comforting. If I wasn't writing this, none of it would have happened. And so I think there's a fullness of me that's the intention of that line. I had a story. I had a good story um, that I built um, through work and and family. I have three wonderful children. Um, I am now the face of the modern grandmother, my oldest child um, 12 weeks ago had uh, a baby girl. And like the mother-daughter story continues, and I can see already the joy from this new dimension of family for me. Um, So I had found myself. I processed things. I found myself. 
But what I mean by that is there is a completeness and a deeper understanding of her, of myself, and of our relationship because I went on this creative journey. You talk about being very sensitive and and trying to control it when you were young. Um, How do you feel about it now? That that now, another term they're banding about, the highly sensitive person, um, the HSP. Uh, And and, and you you talk about it being a positive element. You say, my naturally intuitive nature honed razor sharp at her feet, helping to thrive in the gray uncertainty of her love. Um, And in old photos, you see a shy knowingness, an unquantifiable strength of spirit and tenderness, and also attention and a caution, um, which I think are all aspects of being a highly sensitive person. Mm -hmm. Um, Somehow it worked. Uh, those aspects of you and being able to then have this relationship with her. Would you want it to be different? Um, Would you want your sensitivity to be less? Would you want her uh, outgoing elements and um, self-focus to be less? Would a different relationship have been preferable or or have you settled with, with the relationship that you had? I have definitely settled with the relationship that I had. I mean, I, the, the older I get, the more things feel like a destiny path and that we're in our, each other's lives um, for a reason or for a lesson. And so I would not have traded um, and I would not have even traded our characteristics. Um, I think being an HSP because I am one. Uh, although I'm a gregarious one, I love being with people and out and I have introverted sides where I need to be by myself and I need to recharge and think through things on my own. Um, but I'm also very much go out into the world and just be an experience and then things will, will unfold. So I would not trade my my sensitive nature, I think it enhances the relationships in my life. And I think it, um, it brings with it a lot of empathy and compassion uh, and love and the ability to express things um, and a willingness to change because if you're sensitive and somebody's critical about an aspect, you're really going to pay attention. Like, I don't ignore things like that. Even if I'm upset, it's like something I'll think about or reflect on, and then I will try to change. And I think those are good uh, qualities. I think it's the nature of just who we were together. Um, I don't want to reveal another spoiler, but, um, you know, she had a set of characteristics that didn't always jive with the a little sensitive soul. And I'm not sure if she re-engineered her approach because she said, oh, my daughter is so sensitive. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do something else. You know, and there were times where this is what makes it more complicated going back to that spectrum. Um, you know, when we were together, she was very loving. 
you know, I would have answered the question. She's the most wonderful mother in the world. You know, when that, when her spotlight turned on to you, it was like, you're so grateful and happy to be in her orbit and to have her attention. And there's a joy that comes from that. I say very early in the book, um, she seduced the world and I was no exception. Like I fell right into line. Um, and so, uh, no, I wouldn't trade and, uh, I'm happy with the way I am. And, and I learned from the way she was. Well, I've been speaking with the very successful career woman and wonderful mother, the Velvet Hammer, Deborah Byrne, <laughs> about her recent book, uh, Saturday's Child, A Daughter's Memoir. And Kirkus Reviews says, devilishly sharp, a masterful balance of psychological excavation and sumptuous description. And Deborah, thank you so much for the book and for joining us today on That Got Me Thinking. It's a pleasure to read the book and a pleasure to speak with you. And it's totally mutual. You asked super questions uh, that really got me thinking that I have to answer them well. And, um, and also, thank you for your attention to detail. It's clear that you've really gone through the book and the specificity of your questions and exploration into some of the deeper areas uh, is really appreciated and was a pleasure on my end as well. Well, thank you. It definitely got me thinking. I'm thinking for the next uh, next 10 years how many aspects of it in my relationship <laughs> with my mother and my daughter and my, my son as well and my husband and everyone oh. else in my life. So thank you very much. All right. I appreciate it. Right. Bye for now. Okay. Bye-bye, Deborah. Bye.